I got a phone call, and in the phone call, it said that her time was imminent. She was going to die. Then, this is a couple of years ago, and so I make my way to the hospital. You know, she'd been in and out of the hospital for a period of time, and we both knew that, that it wasn't going to be long between now and graduation day for her, but I had to go see her one more time. And so I go into that hospital, and whenever you go to that hospital, Arrowhead Regional, you got to get the pass. you got to go check in and get the little wristband that, that pulls you go. And if you've been there, you know what I mean. And um, then you go to the elevators, and you push the button, and then you go upstairs, and, and kind of the bland hall, you walk down, and you wait for permission to come in. And, and then you pass some other rooms as, you head, as I headed to her, towards her door, and some people there moaning in pain. You could hear the beep of some of the machines making noise and others were resting peacefully. Family members were talking to them. And I go past various doors and I enter into her room. Her, I remember her blinds being closed and so it was a little darker than normal. And there's one hospital chair. I get into the hospital chair and I sit down and she's sleeping. She's resting peacefully and I feel because I can hear the breathing. I can hear, I can hear her labored breathing. She has one of those masks on, like a Darth Vader mask. And I just in there, and I'm going to pray for her, and I'm going to encourage her. And, and so then I touch her in her hand, I call her name, and as I do that, she wakes up, and, and she sees me, and a big smile comes across, and, and she really just wants to start talking, and because she has that mask on, I can't understand what she's saying. She's saying, and I don't know what she's saying, and so she finally takes that mask off. And, and, and in the midst of this, I... I know that this isn't going to be a time for small talk. She's not going to care who's winning the baseball games. She's not going to care what the weather is like outside. Kinds of things that, that are so trivial to us. And yet we spend a lot of time talking about it. She, she looks at me and she starts to cry. She has tears in her eyes. And she asks me a question. She asks me a question. A question that has been burning in her mind. A question that, that, that she wants desperately answered before she graduates. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 3. I'll give you the answer and I'll give you the question at the end of the sermon. You're going to have to wait. As I'm there in the hospital room sitting on that chair. In 1 Peter, we're kind of in the middle of a series and we only got a couple of more weeks left in this series. And, and Peter, as you know, is the guy who walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He, he hung out and, and, and probably provided some resources, and he was amazed at who Jesus was. When, when Jesus told him to cast the net on the other side of the boat, hey, Jesus, you know, we've been doing this all night long. I think we've got it. But, but because you told us to, okay, we'll go ahead and do it one more time, and, and then they catch so many fish. So many fish that they had to call their, his, their relatives over to get some, get some nets and almost broke the net and cast it off. And, and Peter jumps into the lake and, and, and he says, away from me, I, I, I'm but a sinner. And, and Jesus changes Cephas to, to being a rock. And, and in the midst of that, Peter walks with Jesus all throughout the next three years, three and a half years of Jesus' life. Seeing him turn water into wine at a wedding celebration. Seeing him feed Thousands on a hill as Jesus preached, and they were hungry. Seeing Jesus calm the storms on a crazy night of, of, of just boating across the lake. And then as Peter one day tried to be brave and, and walk on water, 
Jesus caught him. Being caught by Jesus and, and, and seeing Jesus heal the blind, the deaf, the mute, the lame. He walked with Jesus and he knows him intimately for us this morning. I don't want you to miss him. don't want you to, to go and, and leave and, and not understand the gravity of what he's going to tell us. The weight of what he's going to say. He's talking to a group of people. He's writing, writing to a cluster of churches, I've called it, kind of in Turkey area, the region of Turkey, modern-day Turkey. About six different churches. He might have been to all of them. He might have been to some of them. But he, but he has authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ to write to them, to give them instructions. He knows that they're going to go through some very difficult times. The time and the season is where, where Rome is, is kind of starting persecution against the church. Real close to the time that, that Nero will, will take and blame the Christians home. We know that. We know that this is also the time in which, which Christians were, were thought of as strange. This is a weird sect of Judaism, they would call it. This is a, the atheists because they only worship one God. These are the people that, that will not bow their knee to Caesar, will not bow their knee to the other gods. They know that Jesus is Lord. And their neighbors are going to think of them strange. Their neighbors are going to think of them as, as they're going to be maligned. So in the relationships, as we looked at last week, the relationships between a husband and a wife, between a worker and their boss, between us and the community leaders, we need to always be above board, and we need to be known for our good behavior. And so Peter now is writing, and he gives these great words. I'm going to read a couple of verses, and we're going to unpack them. Peter, in chapter 3, verse 13, you have your notes, and in your notes it has the long passage. I wanted to see, make sure you put that in context. Feel free to circle, feel free to highlight, feel free to take notes in the text. Bring your Bibles, I would encourage that, so that you are following along. Peter says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. If you should suffer for what is right, not for what is wrong, but if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Oh Lord, bless me, we pray. Do we have the courage to really be blessed for suffering, for doing right? Isaiah the prophet said, do not fear their threats. Do not in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this. Give an answer for the hope. Give an answer for the hope that you have with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your bad behavior, no. Those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. May may your testimony be so strong that even though they speak ill of you, ultimately shame is going to come to them because they spoke ill. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for evil. In other words, if you, if you do evil, of course you should suffer. You should be punished for doing evil. But it is better if you suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also, and he, and he points back and he looks back in his memory, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. And I wonder if Peter was looking at himself thinking, we believe in God the Father. We believe in Christ the Son. He suffered and he died for me, the unrighteous, the one who sinned, the one who, on the night that he was betrayed, not once, not twice, three times denied him, the righteous one for the unrighteous, to bring glory to God. 
He was put to death in body, but he was made alive. That's why we have a living hope. That's why we could sing that song about the living hope. He was made alive. We have a living hope. We don't have a dead hope. We don't have a hope that stayed in a grave, stayed in a tomb. As the songs sung, he borrowed that tomb for a couple of days. He, he, it was kind of for rent, right? It, Jesus was, was a temporary resident inside that thing. It, it, was only, it was only just momentary he was in there. And he burst out, and he saw Peter again. And he saw Peter again when Peter was fishing. And he ate, and he gave a, a mission for Peter. And so let's look deeper at what this verse says. It says this. It says, before you can give an answer, you must know the answer. Before you can give an answer, you must know the answer. So Peter is writing to a church, and, and he's hoping that they know the answer. He says you need to give a reason for your faith, but, but before we know, before we can give an answer for our faith, we must know what is our faith, what do we believe in. And so I thought we would review it for a moment. We would review what is the simplicity of this thing we call the gospel. Centuries, millennia ago, God created the world. Genesis chapter 1. It was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. Five different times it was good. And then at the end of the chapter, God said, let us make humankind in our image. Listen to the repeated phrase of in our image. Let us make humankind in our image and according to our likeness. So God created humankind in his image. In the likeness of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God saw everything that he was made. And behold... It wasn't just good. You're not just good. You're not just average. You are very good. And God walked with Adam and Eve. He walked amongst the garden and, and they, they had everything that they need and he just said, stay away from that. But Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve they decided that God was holding back something. They decided that, you know, God, God is withholding something. If we eat that, we will know. And they listened to the lie of the deceiver, the serpent, Satan. If we eat that, will know good from evil. And as a result, the relationship between God and man was broken. It was broken as sin entered into the world, separating us from God. God's lonely voice, can you hear it? Adam, where are you? For the first time in all of eternity, Adam's name is being called in a question. And so God separated Adam and Eve, and he banished them from the presence of him. And now there's this thing called sin intervening between our relationship with God, walking with him. See, the Bible says that all of us have sinned and all of us fall short of the glory of God. It isn't just an Adam and Eve thing. If you've ever seen little kids, I'm sure they're fun. I'm sure they're having a great time out there. But, but I'm sure the workers are going, these sinful little kids, how can they do this? Well, they're not playing by the rules, right? You guys are parents. You know this, right? Or, or are your, parent, your kids all angelic and just mine? Sorry, kids. They're in the back room going, what? I'm sinful? What? Um, you know, all of us have sinned. I have sinned. I have fallen way short of the glory of God. The Bible says that there is not one who is perfect except for Jesus Christ. All of us have sinned in glory of God. Isaiah 59 says this. He says, listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear. His arm's not too short. His ear is not too deaf to hear your call. What is separating you and God? What's it say? Your sin that you have... Wait, it's your sin that have cut you off from God. Because your sin, he has turned away and he will not listen to you anymore. 
The wages of sin is death. Separation, a gulf between us and a holy God. God longs to have a relationship with those who bear his image, with those he created in his likeness. God longs. And that there's nothing we can do in order to satisfy his justice and his holiness. And so God sends his son, he sends Jesus, to come to the earth to pay the price that we are unable to pay. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus, Jesus as us, Jesus, fully God, fully man, Jesus. But God demonstrated his own love. I already read that. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, that whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me, has he be condemned? He has crossed over from death to life. And so Jesus, as we have sung, Jesus came to earth, fully God, fully human, and he suffered and he died on the cross for our sins, more specifically, for your sins. If you've not accepted this truth, you've not acknowledged the fact that Jesus is more than just a man, more than just a good teacher. He is your Savior. He is your Lord, who, who you acknowledge as God in all aspects. Don't wait until we're done. Don't wait until the end of the sermon. Don't wait until you're having a muffin to say, I want to accept Jesus. Pray in your heart right now. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, come into my heart. I'm a sinner, and I need you. See, the text also, they have come that they may have life and have it to fool. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save the world and to give you life. Life is truly found in Jesus Christ. Thank you. It is, and nothing else but Jesus. Nothing else will totally satisfy you except for the love of God dwelling in and through Jesus. But in your hearts, Peter says, revere Christ as Lord. So, so you can't give an answer unless you know the answer. And so you can't give a reason for your faith unless you believe in Jesus Christ first. You, you, can't, you can't defend something that you don't know. You, if, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, you cannot give a reason for it. And so church, first thing we needed to do today is we needed to make sure and acknowledge that, yes, Jesus Christ is Lord. I need to revere him as Lord. And so first thing you need to know is you need to know the grace, the love, and the forgiveness of God. You need to know it. You need to know it intimately. You need to know it personally. You need to know it. It needs to captivate who you are, what you do, where you go, why you do what you do, and, and your mission and your vision and your purpose in life. You need to know his love. You need to know his grace. And some of us, it is, we need that grace because we've blown it. And, and we think that we've blown outside of the love of God. And, and no matter what we've done, that God will always hold that thing against us. He loves you dearly. He wants to have a relationship with you. To know his love. And once you know him, you must revere him. What do we mean by revere? What does the word revere? Is, is, that, is that Paul revere calling out in the British? The British are coming. The British. Is that who, what we mean? You've got you to gotta go back and say, oh, Paul revere. That's what it means. No, that's not what it means. It means revere means to honor, to recognize, and to acknowledge with authority. To honor him. To honor him in, in everything you do, everything you say. See, see, Peter is interested in your good behavior being a testimony to those who malign you. To those who speak ill of you, those poorly of you. He, he, wants, he wants your good behavior to confront and to convict them. So you must know him. 
You must revere him. You must give Christ your authority. He must be Lord in your life. Nothing else can be Lord in your life. Jesus lives in the throne of your heart or he doesn't. And every day you need to wake up and share that gospel to your heart and you say, Lord Jesus, today I want you to be Lord. I'm going to face a lot of challenges. My, my mind is going to wander. And Lord, may it wander to places where you are Lord. May, may my words that I speak be words that honor you and reflect you. And every morning you wake up with that. And Lord, not my ways, but your ways. Lord, I want to be a servant in your kingdom. I want to be found busy doing what you've asked me to do today. You need to revere him as Lord. He says this. That's what he says. Revere Christ in your heart as Lord, not as just a random guy, not just as a good teacher, not just as, as a good leader, but he needs to be Lord. And in our wonderful day where we have elected representatives, we don't understand what Lord means. Lord is somebody who has all authority, all power over you. He needs to be Lord. First, you need to know him. Then you need to grow. Grow in the knowledge of the hope that you have. Grow, people who are constantly growing. Look what it says. It says, but in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. Always, always, not not part of the time, not some of the time, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you. Be prepared to give an answer. See, in order to give an answer, you need to know the answer. And in order to understand what Jesus is talking about, you need to know Jesus and spend time with Jesus. For the reason, though, of the hope that you have. Let's look at this. Always be prepared. I made up a simple little acrostic and ABCs for us to know how do we prepare? How do we, how do we know and prepare? So when you're like me and you get a call to go to the hospital and then you're still with that lady in your minds and she asks me a question, how do I know how to answer that question? Do you have to have gone to seminary? Do you have to have gone and get extra degrees in order to answer that question? I'm telling you, you can answer that question that she asked just as well as I did as soon as you figure out what the question is. First thing you do is you need to abide in God's word. You need to abide in God's word. Abide means you need to put God's word in your being. Jesus said to the people, he said, you are truly my disciples, comma, phrase, if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will, and the truth will set you free. The key to that is being faithful to God's teachings. Today, almost everybody I know, almost everybody has a smartphone. I know a couple of people without them, but there are reasons why they don't have them. If you've got a smartphone, you can take the Bible with you. I don't care whether you can read or not read. There are apps that will read the text to you. You can listen to God's word in your car. You can set your car up to where it's Bluetooth automatically comes on. You can listen to God's words in the shower. You can listen to God's word anytime. It is almost inexcusable for us Christian believers today to be, to be famished on the word of God. How many of us came into the service this week saturated in the Word of God, filled, overflowing with God's Word, dwelling within us? Or if you're honest with yourself, how many of you neglected God's Word this week? How many of you didn't read it? How many of you didn't spend time in it? How many of you, you, you looked at it, you had good intentions, but you never once abided in the Word of God between week to week? Maybe that's the reason some people choose church as an option 
instead of as a, a lovely moment of joy because God is an option for them. He's not Lord of their life. He's just Lord sometimes in their life. You need to abide in God's word. Let me Bible study on Wednesday night to memorize a verse in Philippians. Let me challenge you to just start to memorize God's word, if nothing else. Find one verse and, and meditate on it and pick it one word, one thought, one moment at a time and just let it permeate and seep in you. Like a tea bag. Think of it as a tea bag. You put the tea bag in, in the cup of your life and it slowly changes the color of the water, right? And that's the same thing you need to do with God's word is you need to put the tea bag of God's word in your life and, and it will slowly permeate and change the color of who you are and how you think. You need to abide. Second one is you need to believe God's word. You need to believe. Believe means you need to let it out. Now that you've been in a cup of water and you make tea, what good is the tea unless you drink it, right? Unless you, unless you use it. God's word needs to permeate you, but it also needs to come out of you. And so that those things that you do and say and think and act and behave, those things, the non-Christians are watching and they're going to ask for the reason for your hope. How will they know you have hope? Unless you tell them that you have hope. And they should say, you know, things are bad, but, but I trust my God. He's going to help me in this situation. My God is going to be with me. I have hope. And we're going to look at a moment of that, what that hope is. The ABCs of abiding with Christ is connect with God's people. You can saturate yourself in the word of God. You can drench yourself in the Word of God. You, you can, and it's teaching, but I'm telling you, church, there's a huge importance each one of us needs is we need to connect with God's people. We need to be connected with God's people. The Christian faith is not a solo faith. It's not an independent, not a lone ranger. Not a, it, it, it's, it's a combined asset. What good is a toe in the hospital without a body? It's no good at all, is it? What good is, they, let's say they, they develop um, a kidney, and you got this great kidney, but it's in the lab. Is a kidney in the lab any good for anybody, even though it's perfect? No, it's not good for anybody. Why? Because a kidney deserves to be in the body, where it can do some good. What if, you, what if you build a heart, and you say, well, I've got this great heart. Have you ever put it in a body? No. Why would I, why would I put this heart inside of a body? It's just going to get bloody. It's, it, it's going to get used. It's going to get broken. It, it might get abused. I don't want to do that. I want to keep this heart away from all of the other things because I want this heart to be pristine. Well, the heart outside of the body is useless. A toe outside of the body is useless. A, a kidney, an eyeball. The Bible teaches us that you are a part of the body. Therefore, you are connected to the body. And if you're not connected to the body, the body is hurting. The body is deformed. And so some of you need to be connected to the body in ways that help the body become healthy and whole again. This is good. You need to let others know. You need to let others know the hope that you have. Not hope light, I'm calling it. Because in our English language, this is how we've really used the word, oh, I hope it doesn't rain, you know, or, or I hope the Dodgers win the World Series. <coughs> Please, no. Um, Dodger fans, Dodger fans everywhere. Oh, no! Um, you know, and, and so we just have this hope light that we tend to say, oh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm hope, I hope it works, and I hope that doesn't work. And, and that's not the essence of what we hope for, is it? I, I, I hope your, your faith in Jesus Christ is greater than your desire for your sports team to win the championship. Right? I, 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 I really, truly think that not it rains next week, whether or not the wind blows, whether or not... Um, the doctor 
test comes back positive or negative. The word hope is, is deeper than that. The word hope means assurance, as the Bible says. In the Old Testament, there's a word for hope that is translated hope. It means, it means assurance, confidence. It, it's almost like you know it is without a doubt. It is, it is hope on steroids instead of hope light. And so when, when the Bible says you hope, it, it is a confident, complete assurance that you know without a shadow of the doubt that it is going to happen and it will take place. And that is the hope that you have in That is the hope that the neighbors, the friends, the family, that is the hope that they see. Well, how, do we get, how do we get the hope that they see? You abide in Christ, one. You, 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 you believe, you press it out, and then you connect with the community, and then people start to see that, that you have hope that's intertwined with every action and word that you do. And they go, I want some of that. Or, you're a nut for believing that. You're crazy. I, you, why would you give up your Sunday morning? You're, you're just a loon. Let them think that. You know, uh, you chose to go to church over Disneyland Boy, you're the stupidest person I know, even though, even though you're given free tickets. Really? You would choose Disneyland over, you would choose participating, playing with Mickey more than worshiping Jesus? You know, so, so church, how intertwined is your hope? Can the world convict you? Will the world accuse you of the fact that your hope, your hope is, is, is completely assured? You need to know. You need to grow. And then you need to show, you need to show others your faith with gentleness, respect, and with good behavior. You need, to, you need to show other people what you've done with gentleness, respect. Imagine Christians, imagine our faith being exposed by everybody and they know that you're a gentle person. Talk about Jesus, it comes across with great gentleness. Look at what it says. Let them know the hope but with gentle keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your obnoxious, annoying, mean, antagonistic behavior. Is that what it says? Those, 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 who, those who speak malign you uh, because of your bitterness, because of your hate, because of your anger, because of your filthy language. Oh! No, those who... Speak maliciously against your good behavior. Amen. Your good behavior, church. Your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed. Of so remember Jesus as Peter does. He remembers him gentle like a lamb. Previous sermon, we talked about Jesus when he was going to the cross. He didn't speak ill will against those people. He didn't start cursing them out. He didn't start cussing them out. He didn't say, I demand my rights! Because he knew he was doing the will of the Father. Gentle like a lamb. He was led to the slaughter like a lamb because he knew he was doing the will of the Father. He was respected by others. He was. And so much so that they feared him. You can have respect and fear. They, they feared him and they said, if he continues to do what, he, what we worked for will, will, will go away. And so, so what we want to do is we want to keep what we've worked for. Because they knew that if Jesus continued to do what he did, Jerusalem would have been turned upside down and they didn't want to take that chance. And so they feared him. And nobody could accuse him of any sin. He said, who in this world can accuse me of sin? Go ahead, throw the stone. 
and he walks right through them because they couldn't have accused him of sin. And yet Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, Jesus Christ was crucified. Jesus Christ suffered and died for us. Suffered and died for you. Jesus Christ, your Lord. Your... Remember Jesus Christ when you encounter difficult people in difficult situations. So this week, know his love, his grace and forgiveness. Grow in the knowledge of the hope that you have. Show gentleness, respect, and good behavior. Show gentleness, respect, and good behavior. So I'm sitting in the hospital room. And she asked me this question with great tears in her eyes. And she says, Pastor Paul, how do I know I'm forgiven? I've walked with this lady for years. She's been in church for years. And, and she's questioning whether or not she's forgiven. Because she knows that in a couple of days, literally in a couple of days, she is going to graduate. How do I know how to answer that question? How do I know that she's forgiven? I know that the Bible, the authority of scriptures, the authority of scriptures, I know that I know the the all the archaeological evidence is proving that the texts are, are, are real, and that John, we got more scraps of John than we've ever had, and, and John literally wrote those documents, they're accurate, they're true. We know that, we know that, that, that the evidence proves that there was a human named Jesus who walked the earth and did myriad sources. We know the evidence, that we know the philosophical evidences that say, let's say, atheism is empty and void. We know those things. And because I know those things, and because I've studied those things, I could hold her hand and I say, Jesus Christ forgives you. He said so in his words. He said, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He says that Jesus Christ took your sins, your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins, and he nailed them on the cross. You are forgiven. You are at peace. How did I know how to do that? By spending, by believing acting out what he has told me to do and by connecting with one another. I'm convinced many of you in this room could give the same answer. Many of you could help this struggling lady. Many of you could do it at the right time and the right moment with the presence of God in your life. You can do it, church. You can give an answer to anybody for the faith and the hope that you have. Let's know God this week deeper. Let's grow in his knowledge And let's show it with respect and gentleness to a world that is longing for the hope that we have. You're you. You are are the conduits of hope in someone's life. Let's give praise for that in prayer. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these men and these women who have come, Lord, to be encouraged. And yet, yet, Lord, to be challenged to be people of your word. I pray for any of them going through any difficult times. If there are people maligning them, there are people speaking ill of them, Lord, I know that that is tough and that is hard and that is challenging and their hearts in turmoil. So, Lord, I pray that your grace would be on them and that they would be able to turn away a harsh word with gentle and kindness. Lord, I pray that their faith would be faith that would be acted out, faith that would grow, faith that would be stimulated. Lord, that in this room, would be conduits of hope, conduits of joy, 
conduits of grace to a desperate world, thirsty and dying, longing and looking. So Lord, thank you for this opportunity for us to be empowered to take your spirit out to that world this week. In your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. If I could have the ushers come forward for the morning service. And as they come forward, this is our opportunity to give back to God a portion of what he has given to us. This is where we give our tithes and our offerings, and this is where we go, God, in a real and tangible and true way, I believe. And so I'm giving back to you. Everything I have is yours. And so, Lord, take this and use it for your glory. Lord, thank you for this morning, for these men and these women, these saints, who have come to give back to you in a physical way the, the, the blessings of their life. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.